You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we are continuing our journey through John's gospel with the message, Evidence of Being Buried with Christ, from John 19, 31 through 42. Let's listen in. Amen. We do stand forgiven at the cross. Without the cross, we'd have no forgiveness because there'd be no bloodshed for our benefit, for our forgiveness. So we are thankful for the cross. And I kind of feel like this is Palm Sunday as we're working toward the next chapter in John with so much focus on the cross and his death. Last week I used as a metaphor a a tunnel. And I said the, the crucifixion of Jesus is kind of like going into a tunnel and talking about his death. But we're still in the tunnel today as we talk about his burial. But think about a tunnel. It's just a temporary passageway, isn't it? It has an in and it has an exit. You go in, you go out. It's temporary. Otherwise, if you didn't have an exit, you'd just have a cave or a hole. But a tunnel leads somewhere. It moves people from one point to another quicker than going over an obstacle or around it. And think about it. Isn't that what death is for the believer? Death is a tunnel that moves us from one destination to another, from this life to the next life. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was reading it, I kept thinking about the word buried. 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 Have you ever buried anything? I mean, when I was a kid, we used to bury treasure. i take a little pill bottle and put some money in it, and I'd bury it in the yard. And then I'd make a map. So that later on I could go back and find that treasure. Well, I'd go back that afternoon and find it. So that wasn't the point. And by the way, I don't still do that. So don't come dig up my yard looking for treasure. But Jesus' burial must have been significant. Because it is specifically mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. See, he wasn't just crucified. He he didn't just die. He was also buried. And John is testifying to those facts. By the way, that is the uh, statement that we'll be studying tonight at 6 o'clock in the chapel. Crucified, dead, and buried. See, burial was the final proof of Jesus' humanity. But like other humans, he didn't see decay but his final proof of his humanity. And in order to be a follower of Christ, one identifies with his death and his burial in a spiritual way. That means the Christian buries their right to self-rule and buries it underneath the lordship of Jesus. We give up our right. We submit to his right to be lord of our lives. Paul said in Romans 6, 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now you saw this illustrated with Jacob. I said, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new way of life. Now that did not change Jacob's life. 
that act of baptism. It was a symbol of what's going on inside of him. It's an external symbol of something internally going on that he is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So burial signifies finality. We lay someone to rest or we lay something to rest. And so do we lay to rest our desire to be Lord and begin living under the Lordship of Jesus. Now this takes the rest of our lives to do this. It's called sanctification. We are in the process of, of dying to self. But this morning in our passage, we'll see evidence of two men who were spiritually buried with Christ. So at this point in the passage, Jesus is dead. We read that last week. After six hours on the cross, which was an amazing amount of time, uh, considering it usually took days for somebody to die, six hours on the cross, Jesus gave up his spirit. He gave up his life. It was around three o'clock in the afternoon. But the Jewish leaders didn't know that for sure. But they did know that the Sabbath began at 6 p.m., and since it was Passover week, it was a special Sabbath. It was the Sabbath of Passover week. And they knew that the law said that no one could be left on a pole on the Sabbath because if they were, the whole land would be desecrated. So here the religious leaders, they're still more concerned for their law than they were for the Son of God. And they were still more concerned... Uh, about what Pilate did. They were still manipulating him. And they went to him and asked that he ha would have the legs of the uh, condemned men broken with Jesus and the two on either side of him, which would expedite their death. It would speed up the death so that they could be off of the cross for the beginning of Sabbath. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the two men beside Jesus. But when they came to him, they found that he was already dead. So instead of breaking his legs, one of the soldiers pierced his side. And when he did, blood and water flowed from that wound. And when that happened, that proved two things. It proved that Jesus was human. He was made up of blood and water. And when it was opened that blood and water poured out and the second thing it proved was that he was dead no one would survive that but Jesus was dead proved that he was human proved that he was dead see John was there he was an eyewitness to these things and he is telling us what he saw an eyewitness testimony is evidence in any court still is and that the legs of Jesus were broken is a fulfillment of Scripture, Exodus 12 and 1 in Numbers. God gave instructions that the Passover lamb could not have any broken bones. And Jesus was the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. And he had no broken bones. The other passage that was fulfilled was Zechariah 12.10. They will look on the one they have pierced. Now this had an immediate fulfillment as the Jews looked on Jesus, seeing him pierced, but not necessarily seeing him as Messiah. But it may also speak of a future time when the Jews as a whole will finally see the one pierced as God's Messiah. So the fulfillment of Scripture. And that brings us to 
the focus that I want to spend the rest of the time on, verses 38 through 42. And here we see the evidence of changed lives. The lives of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now, Joseph is only mentioned for this act in this place. But all four Gospels mention his commitment and his service to Jesus. And if we take the other Gospel writers, we put it all together. Joseph was a wealthy man. He was a good and just man. He was a religious leader. And he did not consent to condemning Jesus as a leader like the rest of the leaders did. He didn't consent to that because he was a secret disciple of Jesus which didn't stay a secret long, as we'll see. John introduced Nicodemus to us in chapter 3. Remember, he came to Jesus at night, inquiring about Jesus' teaching, about the kingdom of God. He was also a wealthy man. He was a religious leader. He was a good man. And like Joseph, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. So here you have two very prominent Jewish leaders identifying with Jesus when Jesus' own disciples had deserted him. Except maybe for John, who was watching this from the sideline. But two prominent Jewish leaders identifying with Jesus. Belief determines action. It did then, it does now. Belief determines action. Joseph and Nicodemus believed that Jesus was the Messiah and their actions proved it. Their actions followed their belief. And, and I think these men were burying themselves underneath the Lordship of Jesus. Now consider the evidence. Look at, first of all, their courage. Their courage. After Jesus died, Joseph went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Mark tells us that he took courage and along with him was Nicodemus and together they were identifying with a man who had been crucified now not only was that there a risk from the the Romans but think about the risk from their fellow Jews who had pushed so hard to have Jesus crucified verse 38 says that Joseph had been a follower of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews and it was the same with Nicodemus. He did try one time in chapter 7 to be a buffer between Jesus and the, uh, the leaders when he said, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him? But something had happened to Joseph and Nicodemus. Something had happened to, to those secret followers of Christ. What was it? It was belief. Belief had come into them and they were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Their faith in Jesus was greater than their fear of man. See, no longer cowering in secret, they publicly identified with Jesus, fearing neither Romans nor the Jews. And I wonder sometimes, do we fear what people think about us as followers of Christ? Do you have that fear? Somebody might know that you are a believer and that you've given your life to him. I read an article this week that um, Christianity is growing faster today in Iran than anywhere else in the world. 
Now, would you think that? And Afghanistan is right behind them. But Christianity is growing faster in Iran than anywhere in the world. And in that country, the stamping out of Christianity started in the late 70s. And every year since then, it has increased. But what happened at the same time that the oppression was increasing? Christianity was growing. Because Christianity grows under pressure. And I, and I wonder sometimes, do we not have enough pressure in our country to make us fully committed to Christ like they are in parts of the world where they're not free to worship Jesus? Think about Joseph and Nicodemus. The Romans could have killed them. The Jews could have excommunicated them, which they might have. We don't know. But they had been changed. Their allegiance had shifted. And they had the courage to follow Jesus. Do you have courage not only to identify with Jesus, but the courage to face the things that come into your life, whether it's sickness or just trouble of this world? It takes courage. And, and God is inviting us into a, a person, not a philosophy, because a philosophy can't help us, Jesus can. Jesus not only can help us, but he can save us, and he does. John said later that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. There is no more perfect love than the love of Jesus Christ. So find the courage for your life. Whatever it is that you need courage in, find it by following Jesus. So that's the first thing, their courage. The second thing, second evidence, is their selflessness. Joseph and Nicodemus, they had courage and they asked for the body of Jesus. But notice the selfless way that they did it. In verse 39, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. If you remember when Mary anointed Jesus just a week before this, she did it with an, an extravagant gift of perfume, that vase full of nard, a very extravagant gift. This was an extravagant gesture on Nicodemus's part. The amount of spices that Nicodemus brought was fit for a king, perhaps because Nicodemus saw Jesus as king. And Matthew tells us that the tomb where they laid Jesus was Joseph's own personal tomb. He gave Jesus his own tomb, a fulfillment of yet another prophecy. Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and the, with the rich in his death. So unlike the other religious leaders, Joseph and Nicodemus were more committed to serving Jesus than they were about protecting themselves and becoming ceremonially unclean, which they would have been defiled. But their belief determined their action. They were men of great courage, willing to give freely of their resources because they realized what Jesus had given to them. Hope. Hope for life. Jesus had given them life. And so they were willing to give back to Jesus. Think about changes of people that you've seen who have come to Christ and the changes in their life. 
I heard a little news thing yesterday as we were getting ready. Did you know that there is a school for butlers? A school for butlers is in the Netherlands. And people go to this school to learn how to butler, to be a butler. And one of the professors of this school said this. He said, the student must think of others before self. That sounds kind of like Christianity, doesn't it? Or, or the example that Jesus gave us, you must think of others before self. One who is buried underneath the lordship of Jesus will hold loosely to the things of this world, giving freely because God has freely given to us. So courage, selflessness, and then the third thing is their humility. Humility is not just thinking lowly of yourself. It's just having a proper estimation of self, a proper view of who you are. And the third evidence that Joseph and Nicodemus were under Christ's lordship is their humility. In verse 40, Jesus, in taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Now, the major difference in the Jewish burial customs and what happened with Jesus is who was taking care of the body. In that culture, that was something that the women did. And the women were on the lowest rung of the social ladder. And so the women did things like this. But here you have two prominent leaders in Judaism. And they were handling the body of Jesus. They were taking care of Jesus. They put themselves in a servant's role in spite of their wealth and in spite of their position. Because... They no longer had concern for their status and their reputation. They were just being faithful to the task that was in front of them. And that was to take care of the body of their Lord. I, I said last week that Jesus came pursuing the will of the Father. And he endured the cross because the cross was in the path of that obedience. He just did it. And I think that's what these two men did. They felt a responsibility to act on behalf of Jesus. And they humbled themselves and they just did it. Have you noticed how things in our lives just come along and they humble us? We're just humbled by just random things. For example, this morning during baptism, the waiters leaped. And so when I took them off, I'm just dripping. So if y'all see something, don't worry, it's just water. But little things like that humble us. They, they help us to keep proper perspective about who we are. You know, and at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We're sinners saved by grace. So why would we be proud? These two men had humility. They had changed because Christ had come to them. Every time I preach, I don't want it to be just a history lesson, which is so easy to do, just give you a lesson of history. But it's given to us for a purpose so that our lives can be changed and that we are challenged to walk the life that Jesus calls us to walk. 
And he doesn't leave us without resources. His Holy Spirit is in us to help us to do that. And he gives us examples. Joseph and Nicodemus are examples. You have examples in your, your family, your friends, and the people around you. But do you know someone who, whose life displays courage, selflessness, and humility? And I think we would all be honest and we'd say, I lack in all three of those areas. But do you know someone who has courage, selflessness, and humility? Well, if you know Jesus Christ, you do. If you know Jesus, you do. Courage in every situation. Always selfless and complete humility. So living out your life Living out my life gives us a unique combination of courage, selflessness, and humility. It's as we live it out, we have that unique combination. Now, what is the, the, the opposite of all three of those things? Courage, selflessness, and humility. The opposite would be fear, selfishness, and pride. Fear, selfishness, and pride. And anyone would agree that those traits are destructive. You don't have to be a follower of Christ to know that. Non-believers know that those traits are destructive. If you are paralyzed by fear, or if you're always inward thinking, selfish, me, 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 or if you're full of pride, those things paralyze us. But Jesus has come to help us get rid of those things. Jesus told Nicodemus, remember back to uh, chapter 3, Nicodemus came and asked about uh, eternal life. And, and Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to start all over. He had to start over. So here he is at the top of the ladder socially, top of the ladder religiously, morally. He was at the top. But Jesus told him he had to start all over. None of that was any good. He had to be born again. you got to start over. So no matter if you come to Christianity from a religious perspective or a irreligious perspective, it doesn't matter. Either way, you have to start over. And that's what Christ came to do in us, to start over in us. We lay aside all of our self-rule and what we think will make us acceptable to God. And we accept what Jesus has done on our behalf. We are buried with him. And we are raised to walk in a new way of life. See, the gospel is about dying to the old self and living then for Jesus. You can't be a Christian any other way. Dying to the old self and living for Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. It always teaches us, always instructs us. But help us to take it off of the pages of this book and apply it to the lives that we live. So Lord, would you lead us to steps of faith? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about how you can follow through some of those steps of faith, we would love to help you out with that. You can find our contact information in the show notes down below, or you can find them on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.